0: .ly/firetalk for more information.
1: Do you like laughing, hilarity, radical thought-provoking creativity and laughing? UBC Improv is UBC's home for improvisational comedy. Theater made up on the spot. Like us on Facebook to learn when our next shows are. Search for us on YouTube for our film sketches. And follow us on Twitter, because we want the Let's followers. UBC Improv. Let's Insert go. cheesy slogan here. Let's get it on.
2: Let's get it on.
1: Crimes and
0: Treasons Radio, this is Riff Raff. Every Tuesday from 9 to 11 p.m. on 101.9 FM. With riley Rails and Jules Andre Brown.
3: Did you know that music legend Neil Young and director
4: Bernard Shakey are the same person? Get to know the other side of Neil Young's creative genius with the Bernard Shakey Film Retrospective at the Tech. The retrospective includes the Vancouver premiere of Human Highway, Journey Through the Past, and Greendale, as well as films by friends Jim Jarmusch, Jonathan Demme, and Hal Ashby. July 31st, August 10th, 1131 Howe Street. For more information, visit
0: thecinematech.ca.
5: 30th from 4 to 6 p.m. join CITR and CJSF for a special live broadcast from Comox
0: Band Hall to launch the Walking With Our Sisters art exhibition. Since 1980, over 1,100 Indigenous women from across Canada have gone missing or been murdered. Walking With Our Sisters is a collaborative art installation project that honors missing and murdered Indigenous women. Be sure to tune in for music and interviews from Comox Band Hall on July 30th from 4 to 6 p.m. For more information, visit citr.ca. This week on The Arts Report film, theater, dance,
5: books, visual art, and more. Every Wednesday at 5 p.m., The Arts Reporters explore what's fun, fascinating, campy, or critical in the Vancouver art scene. You can find bonus content on our Mixcloud, Facebook, and Twitter. Got an idea for a review, interview, or original
3: production? Email arts at CITR.ca. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. or anytime on CITR.ca. <laughs>
0: Pleasure. In this retrospective, we see a wide range of styles. Um.
3: Hello and welcome to the Arts Report for July 29th, Wednesday. Uh, we're broadcasting to you live from the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. We have an action-packed show today. We have an interview with uh, fin de Fiesta members. Uh, Leah Granger and Dennis Duffin, followed by an interview with Jim Sinclair from the Cinema Tech to talk about Neil Young's uh, The Neil Young Film Retrospective. Uh, we Here with me, as always, is Jake and Jacob. How are you doing,
0: guys? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty well. That was an excellent intro to the show, I thank might you, say. Thank you. Um, And how how are you doing, Jacob, on the boards? I'm doing wonderful. This is my second time in the new studio on the boards. And so uh, looking forward to running a flawless show for you folks out there today. I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, we've got a great intro, a great, great work on the boards. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Arts, arts all day. And this is exciting because next week you guys, uh, I I won't be able to be here next week. So this is a preview because you guys are running the show next week. And yes, I'm we are. Very much looking forward to that. And that's also going to be an action packed show, and uh, we're looking forward to having you guys join us. Um, but first up, let's try and get. Uh, we're we're going to hear a little bit of music, and uh, we'll try and get um, Leah Granger and Dennis Duffin on the phone from Fin de Fiesta, and we can find out all about the exciting world of flamenco. So, so here we are. Uh, this is Fin de Fiesta. Enjoy.
2: we Something about making plans Something about suffering Something about something
3: fin de fiesta flamenco ensemble will be playing at uh, august 9th at the Colch. they'll also be doing a bc tour around some of the gulf islands later in august principal dancer and artistic director leah granger was once a collegiate level basketball player and journalist before moving to spain to learn flamenco and similarly uh, guitarist dennis duffin has his phd in astrophysics from mcmaster university both of us uh, both of them join us right now on
0: the phone uh welcome do do we have you both on the line?
4: Yes. Uh, hi. Yeah, hi. How's it going?
0: Perfect. And can you hear each other okay as well?
4: Yes, yeah, perfectly. Excellent. Can you hear you,
5: Leah? hear you too, then.
0: This is exciting for us because we we haven't had um two phones on an interview at the same time before and so this is a historic moment for the Arts Report.
5: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs>
0: Okay, now uh, the first question I just want to know, um, and I'll ask this of each of you because you both have different backgrounds, but how does someone find themselves one day um, working as a, a freelance journalist, or in your case, Dennis, an astrophysicist, and the next studying flamenco in Spain? Perhaps Dennis, we'll, we'll start with you and then we'll hear Leah's <laughs> answer as well.
4: Um, it's, you know, it's obsession, it's passion, it's... Being a driven person, I mean, you find that there's many people that have been very driven to do one thing and find flamenco, um, which is full of, you know, a lot of technique to master, a lot of nuances that you never quite get, but, you know, you could study forever. And, and we're attracted to it, and we have that same drive to, to spend a lot of time on it, and uh, I, I, um, I, f- I find that it's very attractive for our type of personalities. Um, however, um, we do find it attractive for its uh, artistic reasons, very passionate art form uh, that you don't really find in a lot of different types of art and music. And I, for me personally, I'm, I'm very much attracted to that.
0: Well, you mentioned your personalities. What type of personality would you say you? Would well, you say I, for
4: one, um, for instance, was very much driven towards studying astrophysics and physics. general and math a lot a lot of these things and went a long ways with it um while i mean leah can can say she's she's a an award-winning journalist (laughs) and very good one and uh i think it takes a certain certain personality to to follow these paths And, and and in flamenco too um, attracts these types of personalities and and going all the way with flamenco you end up in Spain and you see there's a whole community of these type of people who once had another life and have have given it all up to to be a flamenco artist
0: well well Leah I I want to ask that of you then so you're you were a, a collegiate level basketball player here at UBC and with with scholarships and and again an award-winning journalist, and, and all of a sudden one day you're, you're studying flamenco dance in, in Seville. Uh, how, how does that come to be?
5: Um, well, I've always kind of been a person that really throws myself into whatever I'm working on and really kind of, I've kind of always been a bit of an all-or-nothing sort of personality. So I have been doing flamenco for for 12 years, so I was doing it a little bit. I was doing it before I started doing journalism, and then I kind of was more focused on journalism for a while, but the flamenco never really left me, like, the desire to do it, and it slowly just kept creeping back in and back in until finally I was like, this is what I need to be doing. Like, I need to be be in Spain. Like, I think once you get to a certain level or a certain – We've learned a lot here. Like being there is important because it is it is some it is an art form that is very much of a certain place, and that place is the south of Spain. So going there, everybody there is kind of living it. Like even if even if the uh, like a person from Seville isn't a person studying flamenco or even really caring about flamenco, they'll still know the words to a lot of the songs, and they're still they still have excellent rhythm and are able to clap and are able to dance. Basic folk dances. So just being there, you're kind of just, you're living it. And like Dennis was saying, it, it is very interesting that people, there is something about flamenco that obsesses people, that when people discover it, they do find that they, they, they suddenly have given up their job and they've given up their, people have given up their families and suddenly, and there's this very international community living in Seville and in other parts of southern Spain that are, that are, that are people like us that have decided this is kind of what they want to be doing in their lives.
0: I, I've read that Seville has as many flamenco students as tourists. People, um, uh, I don't know that if that's true. That could be
5: possible. I mean, it would probably depend on the time of year, but there, it's pretty crazy. Like walking around there, you'll be seeing international people, you know, with their gym bags or their guitar cases or or and like there's tons of people from Japan. It's very popular there, so you, yeah, you do see you do see tons of students. It's it's pretty nuts.
0: Okay, now, now, Dennis, you talked about astrophysics uh, before. As, um, d- do you find common elements between studying astrophysic- uh, astrophysics and studying flamenco guitar?
4: That's a very interesting question. Um, I'm actually, I was very surprised when I was studying physics how many physicists were also musicians. Really? And I'm not sure if there is a connection to physics and music in the brain, I mean, in terms of understanding music theory and uh, complex patterns, certainly, I mean, it's, flamenco is a challenge because it, it breaks a lot from Western rules of music. So you, you want to understand it. and You want to, you know, as a, as an, a person with, like, all these anal- analysis skills, you want to kind of quantify it. Um, but the deeper you delve into art, the more you realize that it's not really about that at all it's about you know being emotional being honest being able to express yourself and finding connection with other people and i mean as an astrophysicist when i started realizing that aspect of things and that you know i just you know if i was to go any further and do postdocs i just i couldn't give it up because it was a drug you know it was very important to how i was as a person and that's, that's something I didn't find in astrophysics. I mean, I mean certainly there's an, an analysis aspect in music that, that's very similar, and I did find a lot of musicians in, in, in physics. Um, and, you know, in the upper levels of physics, you're very creative uh, because you have to find out, you need to find new ideas that, that, are, that, that break norms and, and question things a lot, and in art you often do that as well. Uh, but definitely in art there is, there is an element that doesn't exist hmm. in, uh, in astrophysics.
0: Now I, I want to kind of get a picture of of Seville, and and I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this right or not. But, but what are the um, Sacromonte caves?
5: That's actually in Granada. Oh, Granada. But, but uh, no, I actually also studied there, and there and it, that is also a home of flamenco, and it's uh, there are, is this, it's a kind of gypsy neighborhood. In the hills, on the, on the hillside in Granada. And there's people live in caves and they're kind of these very well finished caves and inside, um, the walls are sort of, um, plastered and whitewashed and very low ceilinged and kind of round. And, um, and yeah, like that I studied in a school there that is in, is in these caves. Uh, and it's actually kind of funny because I'm really tall, <laughs> the caves are really <laughs> low, and they're very irregular, the ceiling, so I had like one spot in the classroom that was my spot because the ceiling was a little bit higher. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I'm getting a picture of, of you learning how to to dance in, in a cave. What is it like? What is it like to dance flamenco in a whitewashed, uh, white plastered cave in Spain?
5: Well, I mean, for me, having started dancing in Canada and just having these kind of these fantasies about what it would be like there, it was really wonderful and magical. And to be able to to be learning it from people that kind of just had it in their blood and, and also just have, that had been doing it since they were really small children. Like, the rhythms are really complicated and the music is... The music, the timing and the rhythms are very different than... Um what I grew up with with western music, so for me it wasn't all natural, but it was amazing to see to see um to see people for whom it was very natural and, and also just to see more than just the classes to see the the culture from which flamenco mm-hmm. came so to see um the way people live there and the way the things that the song the, the letras are about i I went to those places and I like ate those foods that they talk about and and um you know learned just what about their culture and and i think that's super relevant like just knowing knowing where this is coming from like why is it like this and and once you spend a lot of time that you start to understand that a little bit more
0: now here in vancouver um my 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 roommate is studying guitar at capilano university and one night he said um, hey, I'm going over to the Kino, Cam, uh, Kino Cafe on Camby because there was a flamenco night, and I think he was going with some friends. Um, and uh, do I understand that there's a, a connection to the Kino Cafe with Yulia?
5: Leah? Uh, yeah, I danced there for many years. I'm from Vancouver, and so I started dancing here, and then I went to Granada, where Seclar Monte is. And after I came back, I started dancing at Kino uh, with a guitarist named Peter Mole, who's still there. And yeah, every any time I come back to Vancouver, I dance there. It's a really it's a really special place. Vancouver is really lucky because because they have this place that's dedicated to flamenco that you can kind of just go and hang out in and have a beer, um, in a very kind of like relaxed, uh, inviting atmosphere, kind of like Spain. And that they, they offer it four nights a week there, which is is really special. So yeah, you can kind of just go there whenever and, and see and see what it's all about. Um, and yeah, and I still I still go back there. I'm going
0: there tonight. <laughs> so if anyone here is listening and wants to experience some flamenco, go to the Kino, but beware, because you might be an astrophysicist or dentist and you might have to <laughs> fall in love and move yeah. to Spain.
4: <laughs> beware, exactly. You'll get bitten by the bug.
0: Uh, so Dennis, I want to ask you how you got into flamenco music.
4: Oh, uh, well, my dad was a musician, and he played all sorts of music, and so I went on the track of learning piano as a young kid, uh, classical piano, and through the Royal Conservatory program, climbed the ladder. And eventually, I just stopped practicing, and he didn't want to enforce me to practice. So he decided that I, you know, could change instruments if I wanted. And he said, "Hey, how, how about guitar?" And so I started learning classical guitar, and again through the Royal Conservative, Conservatory program, I climbed the ladder and got bored of the music for the same reasons that he didn't feel like he wanted to be an enforcer of rehearsing Mm -hmm. and practicing. And, uh, you know, I went, I started getting a new teacher, started learning jazz music, and I just, you know, nothing was sticking. And, you know, one day hanging out in a cottage, he was playing some flamenco. He was playing a soleá by Paco Peña, and I was just watching his hands and really interested in all the movements and uh, the tonalities and... Uh, I asked him afterwards, hey, what was that? And he was like, it's, you know, it's flamenco. But I've been working on it for 20 years, and I still don't got it. So <laughs> maybe it's not a good idea for you to start this stuff. And I immediately started working on it. Uh, his music studio was right next to my bedroom. So I would just go next door, get a technique to work on, go into my bedroom, work on it really hard, and come back and say, hey, Dad, look, I got it. And he looked kind of a little bit upset. <laughs> my progress was really fast beginning, and... <laughs> Uh, I was really, really motivated and still am.
0: So does he feel, uh, is there jealousy or is there like a rivalry? In, in we
4: actually, he, he passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. But when, when I was learning, he, he was really excited to play with me. So he, he got a flamenco singer and a flamenco dancer uh, very quickly to come to the house and start rehearsing. And so we formed a flamenco group and I started to learn how to work with artists almost immediately. And uh, I was really into Gypsy Kings, too. So he also organized a whole band called uh, Fiesta Gitana. Uh, and we played on all the street festivals in Toronto playing Gypsy Kings music with professional musicians. And I was a teenager. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And after that, I went to university for physics.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, very cool. Now now... Uh Just before I let you guys go, uh, Leah, I want to ask you about uh, Fin de Fiesta, the name. um, What what does that mean in Spanish?
5: Uh, It means end of the party. That's the direct translation. But what it's uh, referring to is at the end of a a flamenco show or a performance or or kind of a get-together, flamenco get-together, there's a a chance for everybody who, some people from the audience, anyone in attendance who wants to get up, and we have a little jam session. So a lot of flamenco is improvised and based on communication between the dancer and the singer and the guitarist. We also have a, so we have three dancers in our show, um, and a, a flute player, a flotist, and a guitarist and a singer. And so so we'll all be on stage, and at the end, everybody, anyone from the public can come up and and. And there's always a lot of flamenco people, flamenco dancers, singers in the crowd in Vancouver. So everybody comes up and we all jam for a little bit. And it's always amazing. It's always a great, very joyful ener- energy sort of sort of experience, the fin de fiesta. And, and that's kind of why I named it that was because that's really a big part of what drives me is the the emotion and the joy um, that comes from performing and, and come that comes from the spontaneity that is kind of... Uh, kind of just comes with flamenco, that comes with the territory. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Well, Finda Fiesta Flamenco is embarking on a BC tour um, in August, uh, starting in Gibsons on August 5th. They'll be in Vancouver August 9th. Um, Most of the Gulf Islands, I think, will be visited. And um, on August 15th, if you're in Victoria, BC, there is a flamenco festival Um, And it sounds like Leah will be at the Kino Cafe in Vancouver tonight um, if anyone (laughs) is interested. Now, uh, Leah Granger and Dennis Duffin, thank you for joining us today and and talking about um, your work.
5: A pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure.
0: I think we're going to hear just a a small, uh, uh, we're going to hear some of of Finde Fiesta Flamenco.
5: Wonderful. Thank you.
3: This is your arts calendar for July 29th to August the 4th. This evening at 9pm, back due to popular demand at the Van City Theatre is Everything Will Be, a featured documentary by Sundance award-winning director Julia Kwan. The documentary captures the subtle nuances of Vancouver's once-thriving Chinatown in the midst of a transformation that plays out across many ethnic enclaves in North America. The community's oldest and newest members offer their intimate perspectives on a shifting landscape as they reflect on change, memory, and legacy. Tomorrow from 7 to 10 at the Tech, an exploration of Canadian Gothic film productions with a focus on Vancouver. Gothic critics uh, Karen Boudre and Julia Wright, in tandem with the actor-slash-academic Bill Dow, introduced the first episode of Vancouver Shot series Supernatural and The X-Files, followed by a screening of the Canadian cult classic Ginger Snaps. On Sunday, August 3rd from 12-3, you can join us for one of the most beautiful and diverse parades in the world. The Vancouver Pride Parade was granted civic status in 2013 and is one of the city's flagship events. Attracting crowds of more than 650,000, the Pride Parade is renowned on the international stage as one of the largest and most successful LGBTQ2 plus events in the world. <coughs> and finally, on Monday, August 4th, Toronto punk band Mets are on tour to support their latest release, Mets 2, at the Rickshaw Theatre with Big Up Sam, Billy Da... That was a thing I made and uh, took way too long.
0: That was awesome.
3: That was incredible. Really good job. Thanks, you. I call it awful audio in the... in The, the file name. The file <laughs> name. Yeah.
0: I entirely disagree. I'm really excited because that's going to be our new... Um, I think we're going to redo it every week or so, and it'll have our events calendar, and we're going to keep the sound effects, keep the <laughs> backtrack. <Yeah. laughs> uh, okay, well... Okay. We're running out of time on the show, and we might go a little bit over, and I apologize to sharing science, but what do we have next?
3: Uh, Since the 1970s, uh, Neil Young has been making movies under the pseudonym Bernard Shakey. Uh, The films range from concert documentaries to behind-the-scenes footage to uh, music-heavy fiction, including a Cold War nuclear musical comedy. Uh, The films make their Vancouver premiere Friday at the Cinematheque, and earlier uh, this week, Uh, The Arts Report's very own Jake sat down with the CinemaTex art director, Jim Sinclair, for an interview. Here it is.
0: for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, my pleasure. In this retrospective, we see a wide range of styles um, from sort of shaky cam documentaries. We we see concert films um, and, and again, a a musical comedy as well as silent film, faux silent film. Uh, What do these films teach us about Neil Young?
1: Well, I think what's interesting about these films is really they're an offshoot of his of his musical career. I don't think um I don't think he's pretending that he is a great artist in the realm of cinema. I think he's exploring, you know, his musical interests and kind of expanding them. Um um, through a visual medium, and I think that 's why these films actually have some integrity um, he 's not he 's not pretending he's he 's still being Neil Young the you know the accomplished legendary musician, but he's he 's just exploring and as I say expanding his his musical range um, through this medium
0: they they kind of share um an honesty that his music has despite sort of well there 's a grit to them as well.
1: There is, and and that's actually part of their charm. Is is they're often very rough and and ready. Although sometimes the, that rough and readiness almost has an experimental or an avant-garde uh, aspect to it. In a film like Muddy Track, which he shot with a handheld uh, video camera when he was on a European tour in 1987 with Crazy Horse, so it almost feels like you know, it almost feels like uh, they say avant-garde or experimental cinema.
0: Do do we get insights when when we see a film that is? Uh, well, well, like muddy tracks, where he's he's showing us behind the scenes on his concert. He's showing us in the van, maybe even, you know, having tantrums or, or something with with the band in a hotel. Do we see a different side of him?
1: Well, I certainly think that film in particular, there is there is that kind of honest behind the scenes and not always flattering. Um Flattering aspect of things. Um, but in a film like um, Human Highway, which is probably the most sort of conventional, the, the most conventional or non, you know, sort of concert or, or non-documentary film, and it, it's, it's a feature film. It's the goofy one with the, you know, the nuclear, uh, is set in a nuclear power plant or near a nuclear power plant in the desert, and it's kind of a crazy, satirical comedy. In that film, you see a really kind of goofy side of Neil Young, and, and he, he actually is one of the actors in the film playing a goofy mechanic mechanic Named uh, Leonard, I think.
0: Uh, I've I've read that that film has been described as if David Lynch had directed The Wizard of Oz on acid.
1: Exactly. Well, it is that his character is named Lionel in the film, but it is it's it's totally loopy, and he's totally goofy in it. And it, and you know sometimes Neil Young comes across as a very serious <laughs> uh, per, persona, and in this film, it's it, it, it's completely the film isn't the film is a hoot, and he's a hoot in it
0: part part of what i've seen of the film what I, what i like is there's an endearing quality to the special effects they're not pretending to be um sort of hollywood special effects but there's something so inviting about the the overdub that they can do and the style of the film
1: well yet for all that sort of offhand and roughness it, it, he's been toying with this film and re-editing it for for uh you know like Thirty years. This is the fourth. This is apparently the fourth and final version, which is now being called the director's cut. But one of the reasons it hasn't seen the light of day much since it was made in 1982 is he's been, he's been tinkering with it and re-editing it.
0: I, I want to ask you about that film in particular. So 1982. That's ooh, like almost 35 years, uh, maybe a little bit more, um, or just shy of it. It deals with environmental issues it deals with indigenous rights um, and indigenous issues it's unapologetically political Uh, all of those topics are um, issues that Neil Young is still fighting for today Uh, what what does that tell us about his work if if something from 35 years ago is just as relevant now
1: well, I mean, I think those those sort of political issues that you've mentioned, environmentalism, Native American issues, and so on, are are, are important parts of both his films and his and his music, and you certainly see that um, throughout this this uh, this uh, retrospective. And Greendale is another example. It's a it's a film he made in two thousand three, and accompanied the the album, an album and also a graphic novel of the same name, but it's also about, a, a, about um, environmental issues centering on a, a family of, of activists in a small town and, and dealing, with, uh, dealing with contemporary issues and uh, tragedy and changing times.
0: And I, I understand with Greendale, it was, it was shot on Super 8 film, and all of the lyrics of the album that accompany it sort of are l- lip-synced and um, propel the story.
1: That's right. It's, it has a very grainy quality because it was blown up to 35 millimeter from 8 millimeter, and it is sung through, as you say, or lip lip sync through. And again, it has it has a, it has a really rough quality, but it also has something uh, very endearing. And there seems like there's a great deal of integrity in it, and and it should fail, and it and it doesn't.
0: Hmm. With both his music and and seen through this retrospective. There's sort of a, a nostalgia um, that, that I kind of want to associate with Neil Young. I, I know that uh, he, he has a car that is a, a Lincoln town car that he's souped up for to, to be an electric car, a totally electric car. He also uh, recently put out an album with a, a reworked old music machine where you put in a couple of dollars and can record a song. Um, right so the, it seems like there's this throwback to to older technologies older times where does that nostalgia come through in this retrospective
1: well i mean you see his love of cars also in human highway which uh, in addition to the uh, the political aspects we mentioned earlier is full of really cool cars and i think I believe they're cars that are from his his collection. I mean, the the flip side of that nostalgia is that um, when he made muddy track, which we were talking about earlier, he was making it with like new video technology, with you know the, the most recent handheld cameras, which he also loved. So I think he probably, he seems to have a love of technology and what he can do and and do with it and how he can play with it, whether it's whether it's old technology or you know current technology.
0: There, there are also some concert films in this lineup. Um, what can you tell us about Rust Never Sleeps?
1: Well, that that one again, he he uh, he made in uh, the late seventies, around the release of that the album Rust Never Sleeps. Um, it is a concert film, but it's also a fantasy. So he, it it it's Neil Young in concert. He is performing on stage, but there's also fantastic elements. The, the sets are gigantic. He's dressed like a, a youngster, so he's like a kid being dwarfed by these uh, these giant sets. There are roadies who look like uh, characters from Star Wars. Um, the crowd control announcements during the concert are actually crowd control announcements from Woodstock in the late 60s. Um, so there, it, it's a concert film and it has great performances. Um, but it also has this kind of weird stylized uh, element to it that makes it uh, not just a concert film.
0: Where do we see the most candid shots of Neil Young?
1: Well, I think that pr- that's probably in Muddy Track, which does, uh, which really does seem like behind the scenes. Um behind-the-scenes stuff. Now, Journey Through the Past is also an interesting one. It's the, it's the first film that he made, uh, also pretty experimental. In fact, it kind of alienated people when he first released it, because I think they expected a, a rock and roll movie, and they got this very odd mm-hmm. sort of combination of documentary and fantasy and experiment. Um, and it also has him hanging out with his girlfriend at the time and philosophizing in a junkyard and, and, doing, and doing kind of crazy things.
0: Most of the films are directed by Neil Young as uh, Bernard Shakey, but there are a couple that aren't. One is um, Dead Man, which was directed by Jim Jarmusch, and Neil Young contributed the soundtrack to. Um, It's sort of a psychedelic Western film, and one of the things that the film's noted for is that um, despite being, well, it was directed by a non-native person, Jim Jarmusch, Uh, But it was still able to offer a very nuanced look at some of the important differences between um, different native tribes and and different cultures. Um, I I know that there were certain jokes that were inserted into the film in both Cree and Blackfoot languages (laughs) and purposefully they were not translated and they weren't subtitled as in-jokes for those who would understand them. Why why don't more films have uh, that perspective offered?
1: Well, that's a whole other question, um, and it will be the subject of a retrospective at coming up to the, at the Cinematheque in November uh, of films by Native Americans, uh, Native North Americans, uh, Canadian and American. Called it's called Through Indian Eyes: Native American Cinema, and it's uh, it actually was. Curated out of the the UCLA Film and Television Archive, we're going to be presenting it in uh, in November. But it's a rare opportunity to present like a real concentrated body of work that is actually made by you know First Nations filmmakers
0: from both sides of the border. Dead Man sticks out as well because it it the the contribution isn't um, well. It's on the soundtrack for Neil Young. He's he's not directing it, but how much of a role did he have uh, in that film?
1: I understand that he had uh, carte blanche to go in a studio and 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 do make the soundtrack that he made. So, uh, interestingly, that that's the one film that we added to the retrospective. This retrospective was curated in the states and presented in New York earlier this year, and it's now it's since come to Toronto and Vancouver. We're both presenting it in this, this month. But Dead Man was a film we added. To we added, so we went and found a print and brought it in, just because it is, as you say, it's such an interesting film, it has such a fresh perspective on all kinds of things, and Neil Young's uh, contribution to it is quite distinctive as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Perhaps one of the most interesting looking films is this faux black and white, or faux, well, sorry, faux silent film, um, (laughs) A Day at the Gallery. Right. (laughs) uh, It's it shows just such a expressive and and different side of neil young uh, um where he's i mean there there's maybe a campy element to it in in his black and white uh portraits and expressions but what can you tell us about a day in the gallery
1: well it is uh, it was he made it as a as a a kind of a promotional film for his um, t- 2012 album Americana which were, which featured cover versions of of mostly american folk standards that had been electrified and rocked up but it, um he also commissioned the, the famous poster artist Shepard Ferry, who's known for uh, the "Andre the Giant Has a Posse" sticker some years ago, but also the Obama Hope poster. Mm-hmm. He commissioned Shepard Ferry to make a, an original painting for each of the eleven songs on the Americana album. So the film is a fake, you know, faux silent film, but uh, it's Neil Young in, a, in an art gallery looking at each of these paintings, and as he looks at them, they they come to life they become in, they become in color and then the song from the album comes on and there's you know there's all kinds of stuff going on um, so it's, it's it's a very unique uh, kind of promotional film that that's attached to that uh, 2012 album
0: well very cool well the the Bernard shaky film retrospective starts uh, this Friday at the Cinematheque and uh, what will people get when they come out to see these films what will they walk away with
1: Well, I think they'll have fun.